Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, November 29th. Today on the show, the Tennessee Volunteers finish an extraordinary first season under Josh Heupel. Not so much for Vanderbilt. What Alabama's win in the Iron Bowl means for the playoff. The Florida Gators have hired a new football coach. Nashville SC's season comes to an untimely end. But we begin with the second consecutive loss for the Tennessee Titans. We are brought to you every single morning by the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. They are Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. And they've been award-winning and successful in this market for over a decade for a reason. Because you can trust them and because their process works. Go to the website, have a conversation, BuildKG.com. Just talk to the great people over at the Kingston Group. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. The Titans simply aren't good at football anymore. Well, at least not good enough to beat the hottest team on the planet on the road without almost any of their best players. And definitely not when turning the ball over four times. A week after turning the ball over five times against Houston, the Titans now have nine giveaways and zero takeaways over the last two games. And there is no faster way to lose games in the NFL than those types of mistakes. And it's why they lost their second straight game 36-13 to the New England Patriots to fall to 8-4 on the season. The Titans' red zone defense played really well for three quarters, and the ground game managed 270 yards on seven yards per carry. But yet this offense continued to make huge mistakes right when it needed to be disciplined and careful. Randy Bullock missed an extra point and a field goal on two of their first three possessions. Then Dontrell Hilliard fumbled in scoring territory on the Patriots' 38-yard line, trailing by seven in the second quarter. Then trailing by just six in the third quarter, Dante Foreman fumbled after gaining 30 yards and carrying the ball into New England territory. Then down 13 early in the fourth, Ryan Tannehill threw his league-leading 13th interception in the end zone. And of course, for good measure, Kari Blossom game fumbled on the Titans' final possession once the game was out of hand. Of course, that one was in New England territory as well. So all four turnovers took place in scoring territory, in plus territory, and all four stopped what could have been critical scoring drives for the Titans' offense. Hilliard and Foreman both went over 100 yards, so I'm not sure you can ask them to do much more. But Ryan Tannehill completed less than 50% of his passes and could not make the big plays when the offense needed it. It didn't help, of course, that the Titans placed A.J. Brown on IR on Saturday, a new weekly tradition for the Titans, it would seem. And while the defense fought valiantly for most of the game, the Patriots did score on eight of their 10 possessions and missed a field goal on another one meaning that the Titans forced no turnovers and one punt the entire day on defense. Mac Jones and the Patriots sort of out-tightened the Titans by playing fundamentally sound, disciplined, physical, mistake-free football. The Texans sort of did the same thing last week. And as long as the Titans' roster is as depleted as it is, this Titans team simply isn't good enough to overcome four or five turnovers in a game. Great teams aren't good enough to do that. Obviously, everyone, including Todd Downing on offense, needs to be better. And it's not fair, but Tannehill has to be better too. Anticipate better. Get the team into the right play call at the line of scrimmage. Get the ball out better. The quarterback is the great equalizer in the NFL. And this Titans team needs their star signal caller to deliver, especially if he's going to get almost 300 yards rushing to work with. The great news, the Colts lost to Tampa, and the Titans will now get two weeks off to rest, hopefully get healthy through the bye week before taking on Jacksonville at home on December 12th. The Tennessee Volunteers defeated the Vanderbilt Commodores 45-21 on Saturday night. The outcome was never in doubt, only if the Vols would cover the 31-point spread. They didn't, sadly. 
But most importantly, the Vols finished the season with a winning 7-5 and record for just the second time in five seasons, and even more importantly, a 4-4 and SEC record, good for third place in the SEC East. The third place finish and the seven wins both hit the overs according to the preseason Vegas prognostications. So, a success. You know who else finished 4-4 four and four in the SEC? Texas A&M. You know who didn't? Florida, Auburn, and LSU. They all had losing records this fall in the SEC. When the national media looks around the country and finds positive success stories, teams that overachieved and make college football fun, well, in the SEC, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Tennessee would be the first three names that will come up. This is the work of Josh Heupel and his coaching staff. His seven overall wins and four conference wins are the most among any of the four first-year coaches in the SEC. Brian Harson at Auburn, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, and of course, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Which brings us to the Commodores. 13 of the 14 teams in this league are bowl eligible, with six overall wins, but not Vanderbilt. And all but Florida won at least three SEC games which leaves the doors in the 0-8 SEC basement, and the loss to Tennessee brings Vanderbilt's SEC losing streak to 21 games. The last conference win for Vandy came against Missouri on October 19, 2019. Vandy hasn't won an SEC game since before a worldwide pandemic happened. Heupel's first season is a wild success, but does not guarantee anything to the Big Orange in the future. It's the same with Lee and Vanderbilt. The 2-10 mark was technically two more wins than last year, but those two wins also hit the Vegas under, and not snapping the losing streak can only be defined as a failure of a first season for Lee. But like Heupel, his short-term outcomes do not guarantee anything for the future of West End. All we can say is that Lee has a lot of work cut out for him. But unlike past coaches, at least this guy appears to have major financial support from the university, and that is a huge deal. Around the SEC, Alabama's quadruple overtime survival in the Iron Bowl keeps their chances of a playoff spot alive. Ohio State losing to Michigan all but eliminates the Buckeyes. Oklahoma's loss to Oklahoma State eliminates the Sooners. The Wolverines and Cowboys are both strong candidates to make the playoff, but both will have to win nasty championship games against 10-win teams before either can say that they belong in the playoff. Even unbeaten Cincinnati has a tricky championship game with a ranked Houston team looming this weekend. So with Georgia having essentially clinched a playoff spot with their 12-0 perfect regular season, regardless of what happens in Atlanta this weekend, and lots of losing still potentially sitting out there, well, Alabama's improbable win against Auburn was the biggest outcome of the SEC's final weekend. And Bama quarterback Bryce Young may have cemented his Heisman Trophy frontrunner status with a game-tying 97-yard drive on the road in a comeback win. I mean, I was rooting for Auburn, but good lord, those sad faces made for good TV. Now, let's just hope the SEC title game lives up to the hype we've been heaping upon it for the last two months. Georgia has opened as a six-point favorite, which is half of the dog's two smallest point spreads in the conference this year. Georgia was a 14-point favorite over Florida and Auburn this season. Of course, they covered both of those spreads. The only single-digit spread Georgia has had all season was Clemson way back in Week 1, a three-point spread that, of course, the dogs covered without scoring an offensive touchdown. Championship Saturday should be just as fun as Rivalry Weekend. Speaking of Florida, the Gators had one of the fastest coaching searches in all of college football. Louisiana head coach Billy Napier was hired to be the next head coach at Florida on Sunday. A rising star group of five coach going to Florida to try to compete with Kirby Smart at a premier program is interesting enough as it is. But the extra storylines around Napier landing in Gatesville are just too juicy to ignore. LSU still has yet to fill their vacancy, and Napier was succeeding in Lafayette just down the road from Baton Rouge, 
yet A.D. Scott Woodward was seemingly never interested. Auburn, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Tennessee were all interested last year and in years before, and Napier has basically turned them all down to stay patient and choosy. Now he gets the keys to a Rolls-Royce of a football program, if he can recruit. Because to be a great coach in college football, you have to be a great CEO, great leader, great motivator, great developer, great builder of culture, build dynamic and thoughtful coaching staffs all inside a sprawling athletic department. But to be great in the SEC, you have to do all of that and recruit like Alabama. That is what it takes to live up to expectations at the highest altitudes in the SEC. And by all accounts, the former Nick Saban assistant checks all of these boxes. He's built a proven winning program into a conference contender as a CEO at Louisiana. He's hired good assistants. He's replaced all of his coaching staff that has left, developed talent, and lived most of his coaching career recruiting in the SEC or at Clemson. There are not many names who could have definitely gotten fans excited about achieving more than Dan Mullen, which is three top 10 finishes in a row in an SEC East title. But Napier seems like a great hire. And to get it done in such rapid fashion means that Florida had a plan and executed on it. Well done. And they get to bowl eligibility with yet another win over rival Florida State on Saturday as well. That's a pretty good weekend for the Gators. Nashville SC's season came to an end Sunday evening in Philadelphia in penalty kicks after 120 minutes of even play with the Philadelphia Union. Both teams scored a goal in the first half. Hani Mukhtar scored first to take a 1-0 lead, and then Philadelphia scored on the last kick, basically the first half. Then both teams played 1-1 all the way through the second half and through both extra periods. Philadelphia largely controlled the game, had a lot of opportunities to win in the second half, and just couldn't finish the job. So Nashville probably felt pretty lucky heading into penalty kicks. And let me be honest with you, my five-year-old, extremely disappointed with how it turned out. Nashville SC missed all four penalty kicks to lose 2-0 in PKs for Philadelphia to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a hell of a season, and there will be a lot more conversation about Nashville SC's second trip through the MLS from the guys at Club & Country. The podcast, of course, out every single Tuesday covering Nashville SC. But I can tell you right now, very, very proud of this team for what they've accomplished this year. Another sterling season and a a lot of potential hardware for this team with award winners and and lots of notoriety. But the way that game ended, a chance to win it in PKs and get to the Eastern Conference Finals without scoring a single goal two of which weren't even on frame by Alex Muehl and Walker Zimmerman. Really, really tough stuff to watch as a 39-year-old, much less the 5-year-old. She was devastated. More on Nashville SC all week long as we digest the loss to Philly in the Eastern Conference semis. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They are award-winning for a reason. Their process has been successful over 10 years for a reason. And of course, my family uses them for a reason. BuildKG.com is the website. Check it out. Give them a call. Just have a conversation. The Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. Of course, uh, please share the show. My name is Braden Gall. Follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. This has been the 444 Monday, November 29th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. <laughs>